0: This is E2B, Energy to Business, a podcast by Opportune, where we bring you in-house expertise that serves all energy sectors. We examine emerging financial and technology trends and provide a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies.
1: Hey everyone, this is Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of E2B, Energy to Business on Opportune podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of OPPORTUNE's podcast. We appreciate you joining us for some energy industry thought leadership. As we maneuver today's topic and panel discussion, make sure that you're heading to our website, OPPORTUNE.com, for more information on some of our solutions and services, and also for some OPPORTUNE content, including episodes of the podcast, articles, videos, and more. You can also subscribe to E2B, Energy to Business on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So team, let's jump into it for today's conversation. We're doing a two part discussion. So this is part one where we are bringing on a panel of opportune thought leaders to discuss something that is 100% focused on the future of the industry. And that is a broader discussion on moving energy forward, looking at where the industry's structures workforce, and technology are all at today to understand what needs to change and what is already changing to adapt to tomorrow's energy needs. Increasingly, we're facing economic, political, and social pressures to adapt to a more innovative and sustainable industry the energy industry, and specifically oil and gas, is really facing an existential crisis today. So much of this shift we've seen come from a generational push, a generational push of younger professionals, politicos and activists that are setting the tone for the industry's evolution. And on that note, if we look more broadly at the demographics of the workforce today, millennials make up the majority of the workforce today. And by 2030, will make up 75% of the workforce. So they can no longer be ignored. So what we're going to do today for our conversation is we decided to get the perspectives of the millennials in the energy industry today, hosted by a millennial myself, to see how the generation that is carrying the industry is also intending to shape it moving forward. So for insights today, we're joined by three opportune professionals and thought leaders. I'd like to go down the line now and introduce each one. First up, we've got Virginia Chan. She's a director at Opportune. She's been at Opportune now for five years, graduated in 2015 with a bachelor's in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M. She also graduated in 2016 with a master's in finance from Vanderbilt. Virginia Chan, great to have you on. How are you doing today?
2: Great. Thanks so much for having me. Excited about today.
1: Yeah, real pleasure getting to chat with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Second up, we've got Sam Stewart. He's a manager at Opportunity. He's been with the company for four years now and graduated in 2017 with a bachelor's in supply chain management from the University of Oklahoma. Boomer Sooner, Sam, how you doing? Good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you. Last but not least, we are joined by Mr. Trey Brasseau. He's an associate at Opportune. He's been with the company for four and a half years now and boasts a bachelor's in business administration from Texas A&M. And in 2016, he also graduated with a master's in financial management from Texas A&M. Trey, great to have you on as well. How are you? I'm doing great, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the info. Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Intro and info. We gotta let everyone know. We gotta let everyone know. Alright, we've got a full catalog of different topics to get through. That's enough intros and info, so it's time to get into the content of the discussion. So uh, before securing a job in the energy industry for each of you, you were all fortunate enough to have an internship within the industry in some form or fashion. Virginia interned as a petroleum engineering intern, as did Sam, and Trey interned on the business development side of the energy industry. All of this happened between 2014 and 2016. So rewind the clock for us a little bit, and can each of you tell us what was your perspective of the energy industry as you made your way through that Internship about five or so years ago. Where was the industry at and how did you view it starting your career?
0: Yeah, I mean, I originally interned in the upstream sector. Uh, so a lot has changed in my career path since then. But originally, I realized that it was not as technologically focused as I had originally thought. So um, I loved my internship. I thought it was great. It made me realize that I love the oil and gas industry. But I did realize that the industry as a whole could use some innovation and some technological updates.
3: Yeah, so similarly um inter- interned in the in the upstream space as well back in 15 and then kind of on the midstream side in 16 and I guess what I'd say my perspective on the industry at the time was very proud, very proud of the industry being a Houston native, you know, being part of the so-called energy capital of the world, if you will. Um you know, awesome awesome to think that, you know, all that kind of goes goes through my own back door here. And then um you know, maybe a little more specifically what I liked about it is Energy business provides a product that is necessary for humanity for all of humans across the globe. We heat our homes, we cook our food, we um, are, we drive on roads made of petroleum products, right? So um, that's something that I I thought was was always very um, interesting, very very proud to be a part of. And then maybe maybe secondly was kind of the capital intensive nature of the business. It costs a lot of money to run the energy infrastructure and run produce energy to power our globe. So, um, as a finance guy, I always kind of appreciated, you know, it takes billions and trillions of dollars to, um, to make all this happen. So, um, makes it, makes it somewhat important in the, in the financial realm. And then maybe just a perspective of how I thought the industry was at the time definitely was in kind of what I would call like a growth phase where, where growth was, was more highly valued than, than even returns. So, um, I think about reserves growth production growth it was all about spending millions of dollars to put it into the ground to grow your asset base and that's what wall street and other investors really valued and you know i look back today or here we are 5 years later and that's not necessarily the case it's all about returning cash to shareholders and what you're doing for the environment so kind of a little bit how my perception changed or how i think the industry's changed in in a short amount of time sure And Virginia, your perspective.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of similar to Trey. I mean, grew up in Houston. You know, oil and gas was kind of the main industry here. My dad worked in oil and gas, his, you know, almost his whole career. So it was a pretty, you know, easy step for me to go to school and, you know, do petroleum engineering and want to get into the industry. And I mean, I like kind of like Sam said, too, I mean, I loved my internship. Um, It was a great place to work, learned a lot. Um, But it was also, you know, at the peak of the, you know, it was in 2014. So kind of peak of when the oil and gas was booming and then um, when I was graduating was definitely not a peak anymore. And so, um, I kind of had to pivot what I wanted to do in the industry. And that's when I went and got my master's in finance. Um, but it made me like, you know, kind of doing that made me realize that there's so much more in the energy industry than just, you know, petroleum engineering or, you know, operators and stuff like that. There's so many more opportunities, um, than, you know, I first, I think I first thought when I was getting into the business and stuff. And so, Um, you know, at that point it was, you know, different for me because I was able to get into the finance side of it and do so much, so much more different stuff. And I think nowadays, you know, so at that time I I kind of had to pivot my career because it was more, you know, economically an issue in the, in the industry. And now the issues are more, you know, social and environmental. Um, but I think, you know, similar to then, you know, I think the industry is also pivoting and changing and, you know, I think young people are attracted to that and kind of like Sam too, I mean the technology advances are also huge in the industry right now. So there's just so much more to do in the industry than I originally thought when I was first in college and stuff. And that was kind of the biggest thing that I think I realized throughout my internship and then, you know, master's degree and stuff like that.
1: Right. All right. Well, thanks y'all for that rewind. Now it's time to focus on the now and the tomorrow. So once it was time to get a career in this industry, What were you looking for out of a company in the energy industry? Did you have any metrics, like personal ones or ones that you felt were important to look for in that first company you worked for? And how difficult was it to find companies that hit those metrics? Break that down for us.
0: Yeah, I would say that the lack of technology kind of pushed me into consulting. So uh, I really wanted to make change. Um, I knew that process and technology at Opportune, you know, they focus on process improvement getting companies out of these traditional paper processes um, through system implementation or just process improvement. I really was looking for something similar to that, Um, whether it was a consulting firm or a place where I would get to work on multiple projects with different companies. I think that was my number one. Um, I also wanted to find a community with a lot of industry knowledge. It's really important that you learn from people that you're, I mean your peers, the people that you're working with. So I definitely think I found that. I know Opportune checked all the boxes there. Um, and when you're looking at this community, you want to make sure that everyone is looking out of the old ways of the industry and looking forward, if energy forward. And so I think that that was very important as well.
3: Yeah. Similarly, um, a little bit off what Sam said, I was I was certainly looking for a place that would provide me with transferable skills. And I think that's something that I would advise all young people or you know, anyone really looking to, um, either get a new job or start their career. Um, it's all about, you know, learning in your young, young part of your career, learning skills that you're going to take with you and apply really, um, really anywhere, you know, fungible skills, if you will. Um, fungible is big term now with the NFTs, but I've been thinking <laughs> sure about is. it a long time with my skill set. So that was kind of, kind of one of the things. Um, secondly, you know, a company with sort of an upward growth tra- trajectory, not necessarily for myself, but for the company. Kind of like Virginia said, 14, 15, 16, not a great time um, in the oil patch and the energy industry where oil basically prices were cut in half. So you really had to think really long and hard about how strong is the management team, how strong is the leadership of the company, um, because you want you want to work for um, you know a high performer. And then I would say, lastly, just opportunity for growth. I think that's something a lot of younger people have in common, particularly the ambitious ones, right? We want to want to move up and move fast. Especially our generation, you know, we don't want to do a job for more than 2 years without getting a promotion or, you know, do the same thing for 2 years. So, um a little bit of that. And yeah, honestly, I'd be lying if I said sustainability practices were were a key part of my of my thought process.
2: Yeah, I would definitely echo, I think, you know, both of the things that Trey and Sam said. I think personal, you know, professional growth is such a big thing for, you know, young people in the in any industry, right? You know, everyone wants to learn and grow and, you know, finding, I think it's a mixture of finding people who have experience and will teach you, but then also young people in your, also that are in your company that, you know, can grow with you and can make, you know, networking connections with. And I mean, I definitely found that an opportunity. Um, you know, been very lucky in my professional growth and then growth of my network within the company and the people that I've gotten to meet. Um, and, you know, again, like I think well-positioned in, you know, for ups and downs in the industry. I mean, energy is so cyclical. There are so many ups, so many downs. It's, you know, finding a company that can kind of weather any of those storms is important. And I think, you know, opportune and really a lot of consulting rooms are Good in that way because they can, you know, they have different service lines that can, you know, be when the when the industry is good and they that some service lines are good and then when industry is bad, other service lines are good. So you know, having that flexibility to weather any storm in the industry is something that I also looked for. Which, because um, you know, obviously when I was graduating, it was really hard to find a job as a petroleum engineer. So um, you know, kind of changing and finding other other jobs that were in the industry, but you know, gave you that flexibility was also super important. And I've been very lucky enough to ha- find that at Opportune.
1: So a few of you have brought this up now, uh, but social pressure is definitely moving the industry forward today. Big part of that is sustainability, both sort of as a business model and then also just analyzing a company's carbon footprint. So I'm curious how important sustainability as a business model is to you know the millennial working generation or even the zoomers the gen zers that are graduating now and entering uh maybe their first internship in the oil and gas industry i guess ground that in how important it was for you and your peers as everyone was applying for work and weighing their job options was sustainability ever front of mind or something you considered what do you think
3: yeah um yeah i'll go first there i think um like maybe a common thing you heard about all of us just now, what we were looking for was all about a lot of it was what isn't it for me a little bit, right? right. You know, <laughs> sure. what, yeah. what am I going to get out of it? Where am I going to be in five years? And I think that certainly changed. Um, I think the, the younger generations, you know, we're, we're millennials here, but um, the younger millennials, the Gen Zs, they're more focused on what are you doing for the world and what are you doing for those around me and my communities? So, um, like I said previously, I I would be lying if I said what the company is doing for the world was a a big part of where I wanted to go work. Um, And of course, that's that's changed today because those are those are not the things that are um, we are not as important as the larger larger community and larger world as we uh, were just a short short while ago. And I wanted to share this stat as I, I found as I was preparing for the for the podcast today from Forbes that said. 79% 79% of millennial employees are loyal to their company if they care about their impact on society. And so just think about that. 4 out of 5 millennials are willing to stay at their company, be loyal to their company, if they are conscious and working on their impact on society. So I think that just goes to show that it's it's very important no matter what business
0: you're in. Yeah, I really liked this question because... When we go to recruiting events, um, we're all very involved in recruiting at Opportune. Some of the first things that I hear from these students are, you know, how, are, how is Opportune involved in ESG? What about green energy, sustainability? They, they want to make a change and fairly quick. I mean, our generation is fairly impatient. So I think everyone wants to make a change very quickly. They feel that they you know have the leverage to do so with these companies that they're interviewing with. And so, I mean, a lot of them are very confident to immediately say... Hey, we want to make a change. How do we do it? Is your company going to provide me those resources to do so? And that's what we've seen. I, I Virginia, Trey. I bet you guys have seen the same thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think how it's. I mean, maybe it's just in the people that I was, I knew at the time when I was graduating. But you know, even five years ago when I graduated and was looking for a job, it definitely was not as important. To the you know job seekers at the time kid you know kids just wanted to find a job, <laughs> yeah, yeah so sure, I think it, it's crazy in the past five years how much it's changed and not, I mean not that that's a bad thing I mean, I don't think being socially you know environmentally conscious is ever a bad thing. it's just you know kind of crazy to me how much it's changed in five years, but um I definitely think kids nowadays do have leverage to you know make you know kind of try to help make those changes if you know eighty percent of these kids that are you know at these companies are willing to stay. I mean, I think that's a big deal to these companies, so they're gonna because they're gonna wanna keep the high talent and stuff like that so but definitely wasn't something that was necessarily the top of my mind when I was graduating, but it's definitely very clear nowadays that it is much more you know a top of mind for these new hires and kids in college and stuff.
3: yeah, agreed. It's just one other thing on this one. I thought that you know is it important for your business model I think if you looked at the statistics that you'd see a lot of... There are some industries that are clearly benefiting from younger people going into their space because of what they're able to do to impact the world. I think about technology. Um, I think about real estate where younger people are willing to go into technology because they can work on developing a product that's going to make the world a better place. Or in real estate, they can work on um, sustainable development of their communities or they can work on low-income housing projects and things like that, You know, serving people who are less needy. And I think those types of industries have definitely benefited from from younger people um sort of changing their priorities, if you will.
2: Well I think the same could be said for the energy industry if it had a you know maybe younger, you know, look to it. Cause I feel like, I mean, that if you want to, you know, make change, I feel like the energy industry is the place to do it, right? I mean, you can have so much in if if they were if it was drawing in young people there would be so much innovation in technology and, you know, like we're talking about like, you know, carbon capture, stuff like that. There's so much that could be done in the energy, energy industry to make it more sustainable, more environmentally friendly. And if you're drawing in those young people, I think, you know, you'd have a better opportunity to get that done. I think just, we're
0: moving in that direction too. Yeah. No, definitely. We definitely are. We definitely are. Younger, which right. is, is great. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: So
1: most of what you all presented is sort of the, you know, what the company can offer the fresh hiree and why uh being sustainably minded, uh, you know, focused on your carbon footprint, your environmental impact is sort of a, a differentiator to bring in those younger hires, which in turn leads to innovation for your company. But if we kind of flip that a little bit, would you say that this is a driving force for change within oil and gas companies. So basically, you know, let's say you're a young intern or you're a young professional or a fresh hire. You know, you just got picked up by the company. Would you say that those young professionals actually have any leverage toward companies meeting those standards or towards entering immediately and saying, hey, this is sort of my expectation for where the company should go. I have the confidence to put that forward and the company is going to listen to me. Is that a uh, likely? excuse me, a likely scenario or a common scenario that we see in the industry? What do you think?
2: I mean, I definitely think it depends on the company, but, um, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I know that I, I definitely think that, you know, all of the companies, I mean, they in the industry know that, you know, most of the workforce is getting older and they need to draw in that younger, you know, the younger generation, and, you know, I don't, and I also don't think the younger generation is afraid to say what they think and feel about things, you know? So I think they're confident in their opinions and that's great. I think, I mean, that's a great way to, I think if you find the right company, that's a great way to move forward because people value, if you know, people value opinions and they want to hear what you have to say. And so, I mean, as it relates to leverage, I mean, I think it takes time obviously to make any kind of change, but I think if you are willing to speak up and say what you want, I think people will listen.
3: Yeah, I think younger people probably have more of a voice than they ever have in a company, Um, kind of to Virginia's point. I think outside of that, the largest leverage they probably have is their talent. And I'm going to give it to you and allow me to use it for your company, or I'm going to take it somewhere else. So I I would definitely think um, younger people coming out of school have a little bit of leverage in that way, especially in our business, in our industry. Um, We've always kind of prided ourselves on attracting top talent. Um, we we pay above average in our industry. We are generally we I think we like to think um, smart smart folk in this industry, and we we need that to continue, especially with the headwinds that face our industry. So I think they definitely have a lot of leverage if they were to come in and say, "I want to work for you," but if I don't see what I want to see, I'm going to go work for a tech firm in Austin. I think that would be a, that's the probably the most leverage they have today.
1: Yeah, you know, to your point, uh, I did a recent interview actually where I had to pull some stats on this, but right now the unemployment rate is highest among job sectors, um, looking back on April 2021 with oil and gas extraction, quarrying and mining jobs. So the unemployment rate is really high for a lot of, at least like the really hands on jobs in those industries. And then at the same time, uh, Folks are struggling to hire today. Uh That's kind of this, the truth across all industries. There's a lot of unemployment, but they can't seem to find the right talent. And so I think there is that mutual understanding that, you know, if we manage to secure someone that is bright, young, talented, professional, has, you know, a clear vision for what they want out of their career and their industry... It's almost, you know, to our benefit to keep them around and not to be hard headed because there might not be a second and a third one out there to replace them, right? So I, I think that's kind of what we're seeing across the board. Uh, so expanding on that a little bit with this emphasis on sustainability really permeating through the social, financial, and political levels of our society. What do you see as some of the solutions for oil and gas companies to adapt their current portfolios to be sustainable? Because naturally, oil and gas sort of intrinsically aren't sustainable, right? And so there's a bit of a balance there. We can't immediately eliminate our entire portfolio. There has to be some transition, uh, but there also has to be some future vision for uh, transitioning that to renewable energy, green energy, or some balance of the two. So uh, what are your thoughts there, strategies for how they can begin to adapt their portfolios?
3: Yeah, I think I think I can go first on this one. And just to put it simply, I think it's one, it's an acknowledgement and it's an embrace of what we call the, um, not just the digital kind of transformation or the industry transformation. I think of it more as an, as an evolution. I don't think it's we're stopping one thing and doing a new thing it's not a transformation it's we're doing what we currently do and we're kind of modifying it and doing it better but i think the first thing that oil and gas companies specifically need to do is you have to acknowledge the world that we live in today you have to acknowledge that there's an evolution coming and then you have to engage with the stakeholders in the industry not just you know the your employees and the in your financiers but the regulators and the other sort of inf- other organizations around there you have to engage with them and you have to take what they say seriously and show that you take it seriously and you have to put a plan together and you have to repeat you have to report it and repeat it i mean it's it's really as simple as that so i think you'll hear um people or companies who put together who are building these large esg teams in the industry that um the first thing they'll say is you just got to get started you know, it's there's no more kicking the can down the road. There's no more saying, Oh, this is gonna go away if we have a great quarter or great year. That's that's not where we are anymore. Um and it's not admitting defeat. It's admitting that, hey, if we want to continue to stay the one of the more important industries in the world, you're gonna have to
0: um, you know, make a change. You have to evolve. So I think that's that's kind of where it starts for me. Yeah, it can't be just a fear of being canceled. They need to actually wanna do it, have the team together. Um, It can't just be something that's, oh, this is going to kind of phase out in a couple of years. It needs to be a very long-term investment. And a lot of companies are putting together these large teams and getting involved and and donating and and carbon capture and just a ton of different things. But some may not be because they think that it's shorter term.
2: Yeah. I definitely think the idea of sustainability and all that stuff, it's never going to go away. You know, We just have to learn how to adapt. And I think pushing it under the rug or, you know, pretending like it's not happening is like, trace it. It's just not, you can't do that anymore. You need to start having a plan for the, for the future. And, you know, it's not definitely not going to change in one, two, three, even maybe five years, but having a plan and figuring out what that plan is, is like step one. I think we're kind of at step one right now.
1: Yeah. So then I guess looking forward a little bit what you're describing is companies need to have a plan, right? When does the metric become, you need to have a good plan versus you just need to have a plan, right? Like you actually start to weigh that, you know, my plan is more forward focused. My plan is more sustainable. When does that actually become a metric? I mean, if you can even begin to give a timeline or if you can't give a timeline, you know, give some general idea for what that would look like when we get to that differentiating point.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I don't think I can necessarily put a date on it, but I would say that that's going on now. Um particularly in the oil and gas space again since that's kind of our niche. Um the reporting standards around um ESG reporting are are being developed today. Um they're not necessarily formalized and finalized. They're they're definitely dynamic, but um you know, in in our firm, we're we're kind of working on how we're getting into this space and what a lot of our clients are are interested in is Hey, I'm starting to track my um my ESG kind of data, my ESG progress for the first time in the last few months. How do I stack up against other companies? You know, nobody knows. Um and so these companies put out sustainability reports and they can, you know, there's guidelines and things like that, but there's a lot of latitude there. So um I guess what I would say is you need to to have a, a good plan, um, you need to be working on that today. But we're everyone in the industry is trying to figure out what's a good plan and what you know relative to our peers. Um, I think today, if you can show that you're improving year over year, quarter over quarter, that's a great plan to start. Um, but I think as more data and more information comes available and these reporting procedures are more finalized or crystallized, if you will... Um, there will be, it'll be clear or more clear what a good plan is and what a bad plan is.
1: Another, I guess, aspect of this dynamic I want to highlight is that at the moment, I think you know, if you had to weigh oil and gas, gas is still seen more favorably both by industry professionals and also by consumers when you compare it to, again, coal and oil. However, uh, the environmental effects of fracking are still a major concern and still get a lot of national attention. Uh, and they're definitely a point of political contention as well. So how long do you see gas playing a major role in a clean energy transition and in being, you know, a uh, a front-facing part, a forward-facing part of uh, oil and gas companies' portfolio and strategy in that transition?
3: So I, in my opinion, I think this is where our industry really needs to have a seat at the table. Um, I was listening to um, to a webinar, if you will, recently where um, one of the panelists said, look, the, our oil and gas industry needs to go hand in glove with all of the other industries that are pushing for a sustainable future. So, you know, we're kind of on the attack, if you will. We can't just kind of roll over or we can't fight back and say, no, we're crucial. Um, you know, kind of screw you, if you will. Right? We can't... We need to go have a seat at the table. We do need to stand up for ourselves because our industry is important to the, to this to this planet. Um, you know, we're going to have to replace like 50% of the current demand, gas demand by 2035. Like there's demand. Demand's on the rise, And... We're, that's I don't see that as, as a change. So um, we do need a seat at the table. And a lot of people don't quite understand how many petroleum products there are in the world. And so that's where we really do have to be a good representative of our own interests. Um, so it's kind of like two things, right? We have, to, we have to support ourselves, defend ourselves, but also acknowledge that we have to evolve and work with other industries for a sustainable future. Um, and kind of on the gas side, more to your, more to your question. I mean, yeah, gas is definitely more of a darling. Than, than the oil is in today's world. It's a cleaner f- cleaner burning fuel, right? It has a little bit of some more interesting applications, compressed natural gas, things like that. Um, but maybe more tangibly, I think, there's going to be more of, an inf- and more of an emphasis on what I would call maybe like, um, you know, responsibly produced gas. So it's not just like, hey, go out and frack it at all costs because we need the gas, right? It's like you're going to need to think a little harder about hey, are you, you know, producing the most responsible um, MMBTU of gas out there. It's not, I don't think it's going to be the, everyone's going to be flooding the market anymore. It's like we're going to, the most competitive MMBTU is what's going to hit the market. So, and that's going to be the one that is going to be responsibly sourced, uh, recycled water, clean fracks, things like that. So I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on that than there was before. Um, But I mean, we need it. We still need natural gas out there renewables have like doubled i believe in the energy um generation mix if you will in the last 10 years but gas is still 40 percent of the u.s generation mix for power And i don't think you know that's not something that you hear all the time um you know i think that's down that's up 15 percent from 10 years ago because coal's down and gas has kind of come up to replace that and renewables have come up but again renewables are only doing 20 percent of of the country's generation mix so just take a step back and think about that. Like if you want to power your homes consistently and not have rolling blackouts and things like that, there's gas is going to be a piece of the equation, um, but it's certainly more of a darling than oil is today.
2: Yeah. I definitely think it's not in the next 10, maybe, you know, 20, even 30. Like, you know, I think there's definitely time where gas still a lot of time where gas is going to be an important factor in you know, how the U S generation of energy. Um, but I do think kind of like Trey said, I mean, There's probably, you know, I think the technology in fracking can probably improve to make it more, you know, sustainable. And I think that's kind of maybe, you know, if there's more sustainable ways to produce it, then that may kind of meet up with that ESG, you know, with the ESG reporting and stuff like that, too. But I definitely think I don't think gas is going anywhere in the next, you know, 10, 15 years. I definitely think it's going to be a, you know, big factor in, you know, how the U.S. generates And power and stuff. So I think there's definitely a lot of time left for gas, even oil too.
1: All right, y'all, we have so much more to unpack, but unfortunately we're pushing up on time. So what we're going to do is go ahead and stop the conversation here and continue our conversation on moving the energy industry forward, digging a little bit deeper into those structures and challenges that are affecting different sides of the industry on part two of this conversation. Till then. I want to say thank you to our three panelists who we will have back on here for part two. Let's go down the line and give everyone a quick thanks. Thank you again to Virginia Chan, director at OPPORTUNE, Sam Stewart, manager at OPPORTUNE, and Trey Brasso, associate at OPPORTUNE. It's really been a pleasure chatting, everyone. Thank you so much for giving us y'all's young professional perspective on how to move the energy industry forward. And until we get to part two, if folks want to consume some older Opportune content or just learn a little bit more about Opportune's approach in the industry, how can they learn more? How can they get in touch?
2: Yes. um, Well, Daniel, thank you so much again for having us. Um, If you want to hear more about Opportune, you can find us at opportune.com or our LinkedIn, which is Opportune LLP.
1: Fantastic. Virginia, Sam, Trey, thank you so much. We'll chat again soon. Thank you. Awesome, thank you. And thank you everyone for watching this part one of two of an E2B Energy to Business Opportune podcast episode. We really appreciate you joining us for some more Opportune podcast thought leadership. And if you want some more content, you like what you saw and want to get a little bit wider of a perspective on movements in the energy industry, you can subscribe to E2B Energy to Business on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous as well as upcoming episodes. And you can find more information on our website, opportune.com. I'm Dan. Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of E2B.